Hi, my name is Olivia Keeler, and I currently attend College of St. Mary. Hello, my name is Andrew Wells, and I'm from Utica College. And this is Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. On this episode, we will be talking about the role that occupational therapy plays in soldiers returning home from the military. Joining us this evening, we have Mrs. Jackie Warmoth. Jackie earned her Bachelor's of Science in Occupational Therapy from Utica College in 1990. A UC alumna, Jackie has maintained a strong relationship with the UC OT program and has been extremely successful. Her dedication to the program includes teaching several classes, such as facilitating specific units and labs, case-informed discussions, and educating students as a fieldwork educator. As we just observed and celebrated Veterans Day, it is only fitting that I share my experience I had in lab this past week during our multiple trauma and PTSD unit, and the role Jackie plays in treating vets in the central New York area. Jackie is currently the Vice President of Clinical Development and runs the Military Rehabilitation Program at Citroen Healthcare Center in Utica, New York. Jackie has held the role of Vice President of Clinical Development for seven years now. Prior to her current position, Jackie had 11 years of experience as the Director of Rehabilitation. Jackie is also a fieldwork educator and teaches several labs for the UCOT program. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this evening, Jackie. How are you doing? Hi, Andy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Good. My colleague here is um, Olivia, and Olivia, you can just tell her um, the classes that you're taking and uh, what school you're at. Hi, Jackie. Nice to meet you. I'm I'm Olivia. Um, I currently go to College of St. Mary in Omaha, Nebraska, um, and right now I'm in a fast track program, so I'm at the ranking of about what I believe Andrew would call level 500 classes. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, before I was uh, telling, I was telling Olivia about the lab we had this past week and just like how amazing it has been uh, and the amount of contact I've had with the veterans, um, like the flagpole monument and um, the veteran that, that came in and talked to our class and I was just telling her how the veteran that I was talking to at the flagpole monument was just spoke so highly of you um, and literally will dig right into it about um, your impact on them and your role as an OT. Sure. I mean, they've actually changed my life, too. Absolutely. I can only imagine. Have, have taught me a lot about what the service members go through from um, enlisting in the military and uh, basic training to years of service, multiple deployments. Um, so it's, um, I think civilians really need to be better educated about what our service members do. Absolutely, and I feel like this is like much more than just um, the whole mental health role and whatnot. I know my level one field work coming up in a few weeks is going to be in a psych center, and I hope I have some contacts with one or two vets, but just your role is so much more different than, you know, fixing a orthopedic injury or a spinal cord injury or any of that. It's just, it's so breathtaking how, how different it is. 
Yeah, and a, men a mental health facility, um, if you come across any, any patient or a veteran, one of the biggest skills you can have is to listen. You know, maybe ask some questions to facilitate um, things about them and then listen to them because that's what so many um, of these individuals need is just to be heard. Absolutely, and I think the, my, honestly, my biggest takeaway from lab, I mean, we watched the, some of the best videos I've seen all semester. We had that firsthand experience. Uh, you chatted about what you do, but I think my, honestly, my biggest takeaway, it might be small, but it was gaining trust in your client, and that's going to be with any client, but especially with this population, it's just Correct. the most important thing. Right. In, in some of the, the service members that were in um, in class this past week kind of said that, well, I just, I just come to see Jackie. You know, well, in, in reality, they're, they're coming for, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or they need someone to listen to them this week. And, you know, in my mind, I always have, you know, back to the treatment plan and back to the goals and what I want to achieve. But sometimes... Um, as a therapist, you feel like, um, did I do enough today? And, and really, they feel so much relief when they're able to communicate and talk about what their stressors are for the, the day or the week. And um, so if that's, that's their approach to therapy and they have more interest in that, then a listening is a, is a really good skill. Um, as long as you're, you know, encouraging them to um, grow and go towards their goals, but for some of these individuals with uh, PTSD or depression, you can't push too fast, and it's, uh, the treatment duration is, is a longer extended period of time than, you know, two or four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say that that is the, the biggest way of gaining trust um, between that specific population of, you know, just listening and offering uh, encouragement during that time? It's a really big part of it, um, but I follow through with everything. And if it's, you know, if it's a stressful, sometimes, you know, in typical treatments we see patients once or twice a week, or, you know, if you're an inpatient more often, but if from an outpatient standpoint where I'm treating these service members, um, sometimes they don't or I can't wait to the next time they come in. I'll get a hold of them and, you know, ask them how that doctor's appointment went or, you know, how did that situation go at your child's school or, and they know that I, that I care and I do um, because that's, the, you know, coming back to civilian life, things are much more difficult than a civilian that that's all they know is the, the rigmarole of going from day to day where they've been away from it so long and um, have a lot more stressors on their mind than just, you know, maybe the, the child forgot their book or they have a parent-teacher meeting or you know, they have a diagnosis that they're going in and getting some diagnostic testing done or meeting with a counselor. And so when you actually follow up on things or you know that they were really stressed about it, but you need to, you know, I, I listen and, um, you know, I don't always call individuals, but they often reach out to me um, 
and you know, I, I attempt to clear my desk and all of all the messages before I go home. It's not often that I say, oh, I can have to wait till tomorrow um, because it's that important to the service member. Yeah, I agree, and I think that was one of the other things. Like one of one of my um, peers asked in class, like, "Why is it easier over there?" And it, and it's true. It's just like they they are told like you are waking up at six in the morning and you're doing X Y Z, and like it's just structured, and they know what they're doing from the time that they're deployed to the time that they come back to that civilian life. And now, as far as coming back, getting a job, what time do they have to wake up? taking care of their kids, it really is, it's way different. Right. If we if we stop school or we stop working right now, what time would we get up and what would we do all day? I mean, sometimes we know, like on a Saturday, you're like, I did, I did not get anything done today whatsoever. Um, where, you know, that's sometimes when they're retired or have a disability, that's what every day is like, and it's lots of doctor's appointments. And so you, when you lose purpose in your life, um, you lose a lot. You know, yeah, so sometimes we're, we're really busy, but we have a purpose, and every day we know what we have to do. But purpose is huge in these, in these um, service members' lives. Exactly, and that's just, I mean, meaning and purposeful activities is literally what is what we're doing as occupational therapists for our intervention and just like some of the stuff that you were able to just share with us that you do with these vets is like, it's it's amazing. It's it's finally like some of the stuff we're learning about. It's like I just love the idea of being out of the classroom, out of the clinic, and just like, and that's exactly what you do. Um, but I guess that kind of leads a question to: Was that difficult at first? I mean, when you were the director of rehab and prior to working with the military and veteran population. Um, was it kind of hard to figure out how you can intervene and give the best intervention to these clients? Um, I want to say that the the years of experience um, being in OT certainly helped. Um, you know, before being you know before myself as a, uh, a rehab director, I was a director of OT, and then I was a before that I was a therapist, and you know had a students and that kind of stuff. So you know my career grew too. Um, so when I was a director of rehab, I often had to listen to patients to work with the team to say, well, have you guys thought about speech therapy or have you taught, thought about audiology or why don't we include the psychologist? Or So there was a lot of problem solving going on, you know, when I was the director of rehab, um, looking at a multidisciplinary approach. And it's almost like the same thing working with these service members from a multidisciplinary approach, you know, do they need um, does their spouse need help? Do they need, are they looking at going back to school? Are they, um, are they looking for, um, to get off medications? Are they, do they need more body work or physical therapy? Um, and so listening to them, and a lot of them don't know all the options out there for treatment. Um, sometimes they've been offered medication maybe physical therapy, um, maybe, you know, a, a counseling group or a PTSD group. Um, but that's kind of, from what I've found, is, you know, they might have been offered two or two or three types of treatment. And, um, 
and as you know, I, I do, you know, up to 15, 20 different types of treatment or, or things that I just do in occupational therapy. Right. Um, let alone our multidisciplinary team of PT and speech and psychology and um, family, family and marriage counseling, too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to talk about and there's a lot to offer. So I think the experience really helped me knowing how to deal with the service members. The biggest thing I needed to do is um, learn the culture. Right, and that's so important. So you played yeah. a very um, vital role in integrating them back into um, a more uh, civilian-like lifestyle. What do you find to be like the activities within the community um, like most beneficial to the people that you've worked with? How, is that something that you've been able to work with? Uh, activities within the community, um, the biggest thing, I can guess I can give you a couple of examples. The biggest thing that I have found that works is, um, you know, things that service members might find fun, whether it be um, competition, that's always big, um, yeah. of course, or, you know, being with service members. So a couple of activities that that we've done that um, work well, we did, um, Citroen owns Olympic rifles, and we've done, we do shooting now and then um, inside their pellets um, guns, and we've taught our local professional hockey team on how to shoot. So the the service members enjoy uh, teaching, and they also like to get together with the professional hockey players. And when we do it, make it into a competition, we get a lot of service members that come out and, and participate. Um, so, in, for example, tomorrow at, at Utica College, we have a football game. So we're going to tailgate and do a football game. Um, if the weather doesn't scare off too many people um, in the cold weather we're going to have tomorrow. But there, there's expected to have... Uh, uh, 20 of us at least that are going to come out to the the football game. So when there's things that they know who's going to be there and there's going to be other service members or something of competition or education, I find that I have a pretty good showing. I got a call today from an organization that wanted um, it's wreaths across America and some of the service members and if we could have service members come. And I said, I'm more than willing to send out the email. Um, however, the date I'm already booked for, so I can't do it. And I have the feeling that a lot of service members won't go if, number one, someone they know in trust isn't there, or if I'm not the one encouraging people to, um, they, they really like to know who's going and, and that there's going to be someone there that they trust and can talk to, um, and they won't go to large, large, um, crowded events. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, many things have worked. We do a lot of activities. We snowshoe in the wintertime since that's our season coming up here, um, and that, that event is organized by four veterans, um, and they, we snowshoe around um, into a cabin that's a mile off the road, and then we take another hike, and all the veterans feed us in this cabin. It's great fun. Um, 
and something to do in the winter time. So again, my whole purpose is to get these guys off the couch and outside and in the sunshine and into the vitamin D um, and do a little exercise um, along with some camaraderie of their service members. That sounds yeah. really amazing, especially, um, you know, really gaining those connections within the community and people that have lived similar experiences to them. Uh, and, and I'm sure also uh, assist them with overcoming what they're experiencing um, throughout the process of being back and adapting. Um, what, what specifically, is there anything specifically that got you interested in um, the population of vets? Well, it was an opportunity, honestly, that came about about um, eight years ago. The Department of Defense wrote a white paper that asked for community-based organizations to help with our service members returning from um, Afghanistan at that time. And when I was the director of rehab, I had much conversation with our CEO, and he asked if I could, um, you know, look at the program and boost it up in our mental health and and I, that's what I really love to do was program development. There's a lot of programs I had brought up at the place that I work at um, from lymphedema and biofeedback and um, vision therapy and a lot of different programs and I really enjoy doing that and so I, I knew I could do it, um, had to learn the culture and that type of thing. So it was something that actually my supervisor at the time asked me to do and there was a need for it in the community. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been seven years now, going on eight years, um, that we've been servicing service members uh, complimentary at, at Citroen Healthcare Center because um, we fundraise all year long to bring veterans into our program and treat them for free. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's like, it's just, an amazing concept. concept. Um, what are some of the things that has worked and hasn't worked? And I guess another double-sided question is like, have you had an experience where a vet was experiencing and reliving an event that happened when they were serving or when they're experiencing flashbacks? Have you experienced that firsthand and how did you handle that? Um, I can I can start with the first question of what you know what has worked and what hasn't worked. Um, you know I've, I certainly have found a lot of things that have worked, um, and it depends on if they've got body pain or if they've got anxiety or stress or um, they're having difficulty integrating into civilian life or. Um, you know, family problems, children problems, marriage problems. So there's a lot of a lot of things that we've done that have actually have actually worked. Um, you know, and I've named to name a few. You know, biofeedback, aquatic therapy, uh, drumming therapy, movement therapy, uh, psychological services, um, physical therapy. I mean, there's a lot of things that have worked, and I'm a big believer in comprehensive. Um, health, um, when you get more than one discipline working with a service member, many people are trained from different avenues and um, multidisciplinary team I've always enjoyed working with and I think you get a better outcome. Um, things that haven't worked, um, you know, the 
service members, um, you know, again, we've had just a couple of service members leave our program, and I guess I would consider that not working because I never like to lose anybody, but it was because we were trying to hold them accountable to um, appointments, and, and for the service members that have left the program, we, we gave them several chances, but when you know shout to something 15 times and they don't follow through and it's, they're not interested, they're not ready. Absolutely, and I feel like that's going to be with any any client, you know, like if we're going to tell them and give them a home exercise program or things that they have to do at home, it's only going to work if they do it, you know? Yeah, and it's, and we, and I think one of, um, you know, one of the veterans really communicated within the lab this week that we did is that sometimes it's time. Um, the integration, um, sometimes it's just time, and it's it's been nice that um, our military rehab program has allowed vets to grow um, at their own pace. And um, you can't can't expect someone to reintegrate into civilian life within two weeks. It just it doesn't work. Um, so there's you know you have to do the other thing to have things work out for the best is you have to have. Um, you have to work towards goals that the service members are interested in. You can't send them, say you really should go back to school when they have no interest in going back to school. I've had uh, service members say that they've, you know, got severe learning disabilities. Um, they have no interest in sitting in a classroom. They can't concentrate, and they they just have no interest. So you can't you can't say, well, that's what you should do. I mean, you have to find out something else. Find that find another purpose for them. Um, to work on. So the other the other question you had asked me was, have I been involved with any uh, flashbacks or um, having them have any panic attacks or anything on me? Mm -hmm. um, I guess we one of the service members actually shared it this week is that it, we did go again for an outing into the community at a dinner theater mm -hmm. and. It was one of the things where the characters come around the table while you're eating dinner, and you're supposed to figure out who did it. And um, and one of the it was one of the veterans' ideas, and we went to it. Well, part of the acting, they actually um, shot a a snap gun or whatever, and it scared the heck out of me. I thought I lost a couple of veterans under the table, and it was. It was a very disturbing thing. I had no idea. I mean, again, it's a live and learn type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, to you know, next time check out what the what the play is about and what they're going to do during it um, because it was really a scary a scary night for some of the service members that were combat vets um, and don't like those loud noises and things. Um, and when we initially started our program, we had a couple of inpatient service members from the local um, base for, up in Fort Drum. And again, they're a service member that really didn't want to get better and get well and was um, not, not participating in the program. He was an inpatient. And, um, you know, we just had to report back to command. And they actually left against medical advice. And him, his girlfriend picked him up and took off. And then we just had to report it to the base that he left um, the, our facility. And 
Um, we, they just needed to know who we left with and at what time and that kind of thing. So that was an, an interesting thing or to be involved with uh, command at, at the base um, that he basically was breaking orders. Do you he was feel, oops, sorry, go ahead. Because he was assigned to be in an inpatient rehab program at that time. At this point in your career, do you, um, do you feel uh, emotionally affected when things like that occur um, to the extent that you may have been affected, say, when you started out as an OT? Um, I think starting out as an OT that this population probably would have been um, you know, again, I think you need somebody a little bit more seasoned to do it. However, I do have my level level two. They take level two students. Um, level ones, I don't think, are with um, the program long enough to be able to get enough out to be able to treat and that kind of thing. But for level two students, um, I'm with them, and the supervision is a little bit closer with the service member and the student, and by the last last few weeks, it's a, it's a, the supervision is a little bit closer just because there's trust the service member if I, they were on my caseload that they had with me and it's not the correct thing to do is for me to just pass a service member over um, to the student because what happens is the service member always says, you know, where's Jackie? Where's Jackie? Is she coming? <laughs> you know, they all, so, um, but that's all explained to the students when they come in and then when we get uh, new service members on, on caseload and stuff like that, then the students start from there. And the students quickly um, gain confidence. I mean, I explain to them, you know, how the program runs and how, how um, you know, doing assessments like the COPM and having the service members choose their goals and, and grade them. Why it's, why it's so important to do that. Um, and, you know, they, they quickly, so if you, somebody was in there by themselves right from a new grid, I think it would be a, a little bit more difficult because we don't have, a, a, I know at our college locally, they don't have a field work for mental health. All, not all the students have them. If Andy's going on one, that's great. <laughs> Um, I, yeah. I I think it's great. I we did uh, mental health and a phys disc, so um, I think mental health field works are, are a great opportunity, and um, because it's part, it's you know, it's half of OT. Right. Absolutely, and I I you said COPM, and like that's literally the first intervention that we learn as 500 level students, and. Um, yeah, it's a little subjective, but when you're working with this mental health field, that that is that we are there to do what they want and we want to get them satisfied. So, and I really think that's awesome that a level two student is able to use that first intervention that we learned and apply it to, an, to when you're first assessing um, a new client that's coming in uh, into the military rehab, um, just how great the COPM is, actually is in that situation. Right, because once, they, once they've actually go back and say, Oh wow! I achieved all of these. All you know, I usually have them do three to four goals. Yep. And once they see that they um, have achieved them, it doesn't mean that they can't make new goals. Um, but they really can see their they really can see their progress. Absolutely, and you can just add you can just add goals to it. Like, hey, you did this, but 
there's got to be something else that you want to be able to do, and you can just you can just keep growing with them and gaining that trust and and get, seeing them improve. Right. Correct. Um, I have a question regarding, uh, you know, a different type of adoption back into um, civilian life. I, I, I know that you had said you've worked with different intervention approaches. Have you worked with um, equine therapy before and, uh, or used um, psychiatric service animals uh, to help people adapt or worked with anybody that may have them? Sure. Yeah, I've, done, I've used um, used both of those approaches. Um, I'm not a equine assisted therapy, but I very much believe in equine assisted therapy, and have facilitated been a therapist to facilitate um, veterans uh, attending places to receive that type of therapy. So, um, I have done riding with the service members. I have done vaulting with the service members, so basically gymnastics on the back of a horse. And um, both of those types of programs are, are very good and have purpose to it. But the program I do today with Spirit Dog Farms in Frankfurt, New York, they do a program um, called Natural Horsemanship. And they learned it from Tim Hayes, who is um, using horses to heal? He's an author that um, from the book Horses to Heal, and they teach they teach um, the service member how to work with and control this very large animal, um, and it has to do with predator and prey um, that the the horse has to trust the service member in order for them to work together. So there we are talking about trust again. And when the service member isn't focused or there's they're a little bit off um, one day, the horse would like walk right away from them. So it's a really good um, tool sometimes for the facilitators, Jeff and Marie Engelbrecht, to say, what's what's going on? Like, why did the horse walk away from you? And they're like, they start to learn, like, oh, I wasn't focused or I was really concerned or worried or anxious about what happened this morning or last night. Um, and they understand, they learn about trust, they learn about focus, they learn about breathing um, and learn how to control um, a horse. And... Many of the techniques that um, I've seen the service members do that really have them gain confidence and better communi nonverbal communication skills with a horse and with family members, um, it, it's just changed, changed the service member um, for a couple of different reasons. The energy field of the horse and the heart rate of the horse is very different than a human in that effect, but it affects the human next to that horse while they're brushing them. Um, the heart rate of a horse is lower, so the human's heart rate tends to um, lower. So we've actually had some service members, and one of the Marines that we worked with said, I felt really weird right now. I've, I really haven't felt this calm and years. I can't remember the last time I felt like this. I feel really weird. 
and he, you know he was just more relaxed. His heart rate was down um, because he was living on high anxiety um, for years. Um, so the equine assisted therapy today that we work with is amazing. Um, it's great to see the before and after after we've been in the barn for just two hours. Um, and it's in very interesting to see the session from session to session. Um, I've also had some um, experience with service dogs. Um, some of the service dogs that the vets have had in our program has been from Puppies Behind Bars, where the dogs are, are trained in, from inmates in uh, jail, and they're with the dogs for two years and volunteers take, take the dogs out on weekends, and then they're um, given to a service member with PTSD. And I know two veterans that have been through our program that have a dog from Puppies Behind Bars. So that's been a really amazing experience. Um, one of the service members actually had the dog at the, one of our retreats, so I was able to see the dog for three days straight and how he was able to... Um, snap the service member out of like a stare or when they were when they were going um, and fading off and um, their concentration was fading off into a possible flashback. Um, very neat, very neat um, and protection that that dog had over that service member. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were actually, Olivia and I were chatting about this and I actually, I shared one of the videos of Puppies Behind Bars um, to her and just how amazing it is and you know it's even amazing for the inmate that's training them um, and who knows if uh, puppies may even help the inmates return to their civilian life after they come home from prison um, but another thing I was telling Olivia about is leading off of that equine therapy um, I did my senior capstone with uh, Professor Mary Siniscarco at Utica on hippotherapy and I went over to the root farm in Sequoia um, and I had about 10 to 12 hours of shadowing, and I saw different caseloads of patients, but one of the big ones I saw was someone that had severe anxiety, and the difference mm -hmm. that I saw in that individual by the time that she came into the doors, just even she was like just shuffling her feet, and she didn't want to do anything, and you could even tell the horse was nervous, but just simply petting the horse, like you said, heart rate went down. She eventually gained the trust to get onto the horse, and even after riding the horse for 40 minutes, I, I couldn't believe the change that I saw. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've experienced it myself being with the horses. I mean, you know, sometimes we all uh, are short sleep or, you know, have a, um, and your day's not going as smoothly as you expected, but as soon as we walk into the barn and, you know, I usually am there brushing the horse with the service member, um, before they start their lesson with the trainers. And um, I could just sit there and mesmerize myself by, you know, brushing their hair or whatever. And I've read several books, too, on the natural horsemanship. So whenever it tells you, like, the areas that the horse prefer to be brushed or, or petted and that kind of stuff. And so I, I've, felt, I've tried it all. So Jeff and Marie have really taught me a lot. I've observed a lot through um, – the program, and we're um, going to be presenting in Boston on ecotherapy and um, just being close to nature. And part of that is the animal-assisted therapy. So just walking in the woods, 
um, with with the horses with on the trails. Mm-hmm. Um, the fall was beautiful. We've done that with service members this fall, walking through the leaves with the horses next to you, with bringing their heart rate down, being outside in nature, just amazing experiences for um, any individual, and but with service members also. Speaking of, what's your uh, experience with the ecotherapy approach? Well, um, I've been doing um, a lot of ecotherapy um, with service members, kind of um, knowing things that have that have worked, such as you know gardening, putting your um, hands in the dirt, and um, so we have eight raised beds in our program for service members. Uh, the veterans who come and work on work at the garden, they can take all the vegetables home that they want and whatever vegetables we don't sell or give to the service members, we sell back to the staff at Citroen. Um, so we, it's, it's a beautiful thing. We, we go to the garden once a week. Um, so a lot of people might think that gardens are more work than that, but when we work the gardens and weed them and plant them and um, clean up and chip around them and everything. Once when we have eight people out there or four people out there, once a week you, you keep them in pretty good shape. And um, over the last year, we have a Vietnam veteran who lives um, in the building right where the gardens are. So he comes out and, um, you know, weeds some of them, and he asked if he had, could have a spot in it um, in the garden for his pole beans that he likes to grow and, you know, of course, we said sure. So he keeps the gardens in really good shape. Um, so between um, the gardening and we, Citroen owns a 164-acre camp. Um, so we're blazing trails and uh, clearing trails and wood shipping and building things. And um, we're in the water and we're on the pond and we're in the boats and we're fishing. Um, all that stuff were outside in nature and taking hikes and climbing up mountains and stuff like that is um, just being very, very close to nature is very healing for service members. Actually, the cortisol levels in the bodies um, go down. Um, so I have seen it firsthand that it's very healing. Um, and why I think the warrior retreat that we do once a year in July is very beneficial for service members. Um, we have a lot, the whole purpose of the retreat is to be outside, we're camping or tenting, um, food is provided for them, and we do a lot of team building activities in the woods. Um, we do a lot of activities for the kids, so there's socializations uh, with the veterans and their families. We do some spiritual activities. We do some education. Um, you know, each retreat is different every year. So it's, it's been really fun and challenging to um, come up with what, what this year is going to be. I already have some ideas for this year. Um, I listen to the kids. I listen to the service members of what they want. And um, some, there's some surprises always, but the, the woods are amazing. Um, and there's just a lot of, lot of 
uh, healing that can happen doing that. And it's the same thing when we go snowshoeing. Again, we're outside in nature. And it has been an amazing experience just trailing like for two miles behind each other with the conversation and laughing and the, the wilderness and the deer and the turkey and stuff around us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am looking so forward. Uh, I'm actually going to Boston to the AOT conference. Um, I confirmed that today. Um, okay. And I've talked a couple of the second years, like Sam, about um, the research group and whatnot. What exactly are you most excited about presenting at the AOT conference and sharing um, to the people that come? I think that um, what we've been working on so far has been so we we've, we've done some filming um, and we've uh, filmed at the farm at the barn with the horses in the waters. We were walking in our rubber boots in the the streams and the waterfalls, and we were in boats. Um, we were chipping wood and walking on trails, and um, so we were all out in the woods with about the, the students who are presenting on ecotherapy. Myself and about five or six service members came that day, and we filmed that, and then we're going to be doing interviews next weekend um, and asking them, the questions of, you know, what service they were in, how they found the program, what part of ecotherapy do they like to participate in, and how has that helped them? Has it moved them forward in schooling or their education or with relationships or conversations or feeling, you know, feeling of calmness, um, decreasing anxiety? And... So, you know, I personally always love to show the service member because they've got great stories and um, they are the reason why our country is really so great and they've taught me just so much about um, what, they, what they know, what they've learned. Um, you know, some of the things we just don't think about. So one of the one of the things I'm thinking about doing at the retreat this year is um, having the service members teach us how to filter water so we can go to the streams at the camp and go filter water and then let's make coffee and then we'll have cookies and coffee in the woods. Um, just because... Like that's how they survived at war. They, if they needed water and they ran out, they filtered it themselves. And we don't even think about that. So uh, let's put it back. You know, and the vets don't want to necessarily go filter their own water to drink any, right now and they're back here, but they, they're great. they love to teach and this is how you do it. And then we'll, whatever, have coffee grains there. And um, other vets in past years have taught us how to how to get a fire started without any lighters. Um, so it's, um, you know, things that, so it's lots of pictures and lots of things of how you can do, and it's, you don't really need a lot of money, and that's kind of the research articles on ecotherapy. That's what they say is people don't really respect ecotherapy very much because it's kind of, it's free. You don't have to have a lot of equipment to do it, and um, 
so you know people don't think it, it's very healing and stuff so again I think that's the excitement of the conference and to present that to kind of educate people that if you're having individuals that are having a lot of anxiety or depression any population you know if you're working with eating disorders or you're working with um, depression get people outside get them in the nature um, and I think that you'd be ex really impressed on how they do. I just picked up the Time Magazine issue this, at the grocery store this evening, and it's all about the change in mental health and the, the high incidence of depression in college students. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's really amazing. I think by involving uh, the outdoors in more of our lives, it would be really even just a simplistic way to add some positivity that we don't even realize or think of because sometimes we get a little too stuck in our phones. Um, would you say that right. that is one of your favorite parts of what you do is working with ecotherapy or what would be like if you could name something what is specifically your favorite part or aspect of your career? Um, I, I guess I would have to say that, um, yeah, ecotherapy um, is is on the top top five, top three. Um, movement therapy has also been very impressive. Um, so we've actually done um, veterans telling their stories to dancing to moving to meet their song that they choose and we've choreographed it the way that they wanted it that has been fun we've laughed we've giggled we'd we have um when we've practiced and practiced because we've performed on stage veterans after we get you know after we've practiced for like five eight months they're like I'm so sad that we're not going to meet this week to practice. So, you know, I've given some thought to that, too, whether we should be having a movement class once a month because we have fly fishing once a month. We have yoga twice a month, um, whether movement therapy should be something permanent. And the other thing that, that is uh, fairly new to me, but I just became licensed as a polarity therapist, um, and that's energy balancing with the chakras of the body. And it's done on a therapy table or a massage table. Um, clothes are on very much like you, uh, feels like you've had a massage at the end, 45 minutes to an hour. And it's, I just, I needed another something in my tool bag with some of these service members that have been so hypervigilant and high anxiety and not because when you're like that all the time you're not making really great decisions and um, so I be you know I learned a little bit more about polarity it's one of those modalities offered alongside acupuncture and massage and meditation and that's been a really amazing um, thing because as a therapist when you give a session you get a session so it's it's really fun to give a session of polarity. Absolutely. Um, and I, 
and I think that it's really important to make sure that you actually have that a big toolbox that you can grab into because a lot of these vets they have that PTSD, but they're returning home with other comorbidities, and you know a lot of them are using alcohol and they're overusing alcohol, and then you're also worrying about that, but making sure that you have your toolbox of interventions and ways to to try to overcome any challenges you face with this population is important. What would your advice be to an OT working with the veterans population? Um, well, I think just what you're saying, Andy, is um, that you, you need um, need to have a, a big um, toolbox. You need to, when you talk about alcohol, you need to have activities that are away from alcohol. Um, you know, with the the exercise is important, but you have to do exercises. I don't know any service members. I shouldn't say I don't know any. I know very few service members that really want to run anymore or jog. Um, they rather be doing different types of exercise. So really walking in the woods is perfect. Um, I've, I've done TRX. Um, a service member I know trains in TRX, and he's offered us to come to his gym. Again, it's, it's a pretty tough workout and not highly, hasn't really highly been um, well attended. However, an exercise that I never thought I would get a, a num numerous number of vets at is yoga. And, um, but it's a veteran who's certified in yoga that teaches it. So there's a certain group of, of vets that always go to yoga. Um, biking is another, another activity that Again, it's not the impact, and some can do it. Some can't. Some can't. Um, but you know, we've saw a fairly disabled veteran um, when we're riding, like starting at five and eight, ten miles at the beginning of the summer, and we get to about eighteen. We had a veteran get up to ten. And when we do, we end the whole riding for the summer at a bike-a-thon, and he was able to ride 10, um, and which was a huge achievement for him. He had gotten a bike and, and that kind of thing throughout the whole summer and, and rode with my, my level two intern. Um, so there's, there are so many things that you can do in a lot of the things that I've added to the program, like, for example, drumming therapy, it's because a service member had an interest in doing it. And I know the statistics on drumming therapy, and I know how beneficial drumming therapy is. I personally didn't know how to drum, but the veteran themselves knew how to drum. Mm -hmm. So the therapy kind of got brought up as somewhat of a reverse. He was teaching me how to drum. And it was extremely therapeutic for him because all he wanted to do was drum, but he doesn't pull his drums out himself. So he taught me how to drum, and then we've actually gotten to the point of doing a conference together. Yeah, um, I mean, that's awesome. So there's so many things still that can be done um, that, you, you know, again, you just have to... Um, be open and listen, and when a service member talks about, I would love to do this, and I'm like, okay, well, let's do it. 
Let's see who else we can get to come along with us. Exactly. It's doing what the, doing what the client wants. And I'm just, I'm honestly amazed at the impact you have on our veterans. It's, it's honestly amazing. I love it. <laughs> you are, <laughs> I, yeah, love it. I mean, you are such a special woman and uh, you really do make a difference and touch so many lives. I, I just could tell by just talking and walking over one of the veterans to, to the luncheon um, last week at Utica College. It's, it's honestly amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, they deserve all the treatment they can get, and I wish the model and hopefully maybe the, the purpose of Boston is to um, grow the model someplace else um, and let other service members get some of the, the, the treatment, like, you know, ecotherapy or biofeedback or equine-assisted therapy, drumming therapy, movement therapy. All of it works. And, I mean, and there's, you know, some vets do it all. Some vets will only do one thing. It doesn't – it's whatever you can get them to participate in and be back part of their family and the community. That's our. That's the goal, and that they have – goals that they want to achieve and um, they go towards those goals. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I just, it's, this has been, it's been an amazing phone call. Um, I've learned a lot. Well, great. Um, I'm, uh, yes, Olivia. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You're okay. No, I was go ahead. You, what, what are you going to say? I was just going to say, I really, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to call in and, and tell us all about your uh, career. It's, it's really fascinating, the field that you work in, and I think it's going to mean a lot to a lot of future OTs in the field as well as OTs now working in the profession. I feel blessed to treat this population and so very thrilled. I'm so Sorry, I'm not going to tell you the name of our the, the, te- the mental health textbook that just came out. Um, you see, um, Andy, maybe you know the author of it that has a whole chapter on treating veterans. I was like, "Yoo-hoo, go go OT book!" You know, I was. It's just awesome that they um, that they actually have a whole chapter in it. So, I mean, I think that it's going to be something that OTs are going to become more and more involved in. Oh, for sure. That's it's something I really look forward to learning more about as as especially things evolve in the field and we learn uh new things about it as well as uh new interventions that really are, are vital in, in helping that population. But I think we're gonna go ahead and round out uh our conference call. I really appreciate you calling in tonight. I've I've had an amazing time learning from you and, and all that you have to offer. You, you seem to have a lot of wisdom and, and knowledge uh, that many can learn from from here on out, especially. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to help out and hope it was, um, um, yeah, as meaningful as the, as the whole job and profession has been for me. I mean, the OT profession has been nothing but um, a blessing to me. So, um, Olivia and Andy, thank you for asking me. Yes, thank yes. you for joining us. All right, have a great weekend and stay warm. Hopefully yes. I'll see you tomorrow. Are you going to stop by? I think I might have to. All right, we'll have a hot dog and we got s'mores and chili for you. 
Olivia, right. we'd invite you too, but I think Nebraska's a little far away. It's a little far away. Maybe sometime I'll have to make a trip, though. <laughs> All right. Good luck in your studies. Thank, Thank you, you so much. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!